Well, church, if it was up to me, we'd be meeting outside. Last night when the snow came down, I was like, oh, November's finally here. It is beautiful out there. I need to let you know that taking old medications does not help. Let me say that again. Taking expired old medications does not help, right? Some of you should laugh going, yeah, of course. I think it was, I don't know what, maybe nine months ago, a few of us from the church went fishing out at sea from Westport. And prior to that, I heard many stories of someone here at church, I won't say who it is, but he was sick most of the time, so I thought, before this, I'm going to take a bunch of those pills you can take for medication, so that way you don't get seasick, right? Dramamine or whatever those kind of, there's different types of names. So the night before, I took a bunch of it. When I woke up that morning, that morning, I took a bunch of it, although we really didn't sleep because we had to leave like at two or three. Whoever came up with that plan, I don't know what was wrong with there, but... So I took this medication, went out to sea, and I wasn't the first one sick, but I got sick. Six hours, I was just miserable. And I thought, this medication should have helped me. As soon as I got back on land, because that's what I'm created for, I've got feet, not flippers or fins. I'm not made for that stuff. Some of you Navy guys, go ahead. You, know, you can do that. I was fine within 30 seconds. I'm like, oh, give me a steak. I'm hungry. I went home and looked at the medication. It was two years expired. Old medication does not help. Motion sickness medication that's two years old is really not going to help you. This is an old book here. Very old book. Is this just old medication for the soul? How can something that's been written thousands of years ago, how can this truly help us? What do the Psalms have to offer one who is suffering today when they were written so long ago? Is this like old medication? Has it expired? No. Or the question is, how is the portrayal of Christ in Psalms, the antidote for us today. Well, because I believe that the book of Psalms is not just for those who are suffering. When I was a little boy, I used to have the little New Testament the Gideons put out. And in it was the New Testament. What, what, what were the last two books, though? Psalms and Proverbs. How many of you ever had a New Testament that also had Psalms in there? Well, rightfully so. It's good that the book... If you have a New Testament, have Psalms. Why? Because so many times through the ages since it was written, we turn to the book of Psalms when we suffer. There's lamenting. There's sorrow. It spells things out in words that you're saying, that's what I'm feeling right now. David portrays things. It's very raw and real. Rightfully so, we can turn to the book of Psalms for suffering. But it's not just for a little antidote, a little breath mint to cure the moment. I believe that the book of Psalms is about Christ, the coming Messiah. It's not just a little thing like, oh, let me read the Psalms and this will help me. As we've been going through the way of the cross, the Old Testament is pointing to, and the Old Testament is about Christ. And if you see on the next slide here, 
the interpretive key to the Old Testament is the cross. It's Christ, His life, His event, because it points to Him. And He is the one who explains it. And I love how we can see Christ in the Old Testament. The book of Psalms is about Christ. Oh, it's about many things, yes. But primarily, it's written to point to Christ. In fact, one author says this, the greatest single block of predicative matter concerning the Savior is to be found anywhere in the Old Testament is in the book of Psalms. And right away, my mind would think, oh, it's Isaiah. But as I've been going through the book of Psalms, I realize there is so much material talking about Christ. How? Because the cross is the antidote. And the cross experiences suffering. This book never gets old. Amen? Never gets old. And I love that it's living, active. Each time when I pick it up, it works in my heart. The cross is once for all and for all time the antidote for what I need in my heart. And as you know, ultimately, the cross is the passion of my heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 says this, For I decided to know nothing among you, or speak of nothing, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I love the cross. I'm all about the cross. And it's good to look in the book of Psalms and see. And the heart of suffering holds biblical truths. And we've been going through some of these things. And the cross, gratefully, is the framework for suffering and for understanding suffering. And we've been looking at a few of these concepts. The eternal perspective. we be beginning with the end. I should have started from the beginning looking at the sovereignty of God. We're going to end with that. But we started with beginning with the end. Eternal perspective. Whatever suffering you're going through, whatever pain you have, you must have the eternal perspective. Whether sinner or saint, you have to have the eternal perspective. The cross secures our hope of glory. Praise God. Amen. No matter how much pain and suffering you have right now, that is light, momentary, compared to the greatness, the ever-surpassing greatness of the glory that is held for us. And the cross secures that. Or in the aspect of prayer... Imagine praying to a God who has nothing to offer. Thank you, Lord. We have a hope. Amen? Eternal perspective. Now we're looking at the aspect of this. God understands and knows pain. The cross experiences suffering. And we have to understand suffering through God's perspective in the cross. Hear this again. We need to understand suffering. Worldwide, horrible things that happen. Tsunamis. We have to understand that through the cross. Our own pain. Our getting old. Where you don't want to go out and play in the snow with Pastor Cody. We need to understand our pain and suffering. Our sickness. Our cancer. Our lamenting of people dying through the cross and God's perspective. 
And that's where we're at now. Imagine praying to a God who does not know pain or who is immune to pain. That's a religion. We follow Christ, and He understands. In the next weeks, we'll be looking at the God who knows pain as seen in the cross. The center, the focal point, the apex of the biblical story is the cross event. And we're going to dive into it in great ways. All that is accomplished for us, this is very important, I thought through this this week. All that is accomplished for us, our salvation, our forgiveness, our healing, our eternal hope of glory, all that is done in the cross is done through suffering. Wow. He understands. All that is done through the cross is done by suffering. That's not a good selling point for Christianity, would it be? Come, join Christianity. It's all about suffering. No. See and understand Christianity through suffering, through God who takes on flesh and suffers for his people. Wow. We truly have a God who understands. How could we not worship him even more? We turn to understand suffering through God's perspective in the cross again. And it's fitting for a church whose name is Crossway. So let's pray before we dive into another passage of the beauty of the cross. Lord, we thank you that you understand where I'm at. You have walked this earth and the freedom, the forgiveness, the peace, the joy, the hope that I have because of the cross has been done through suffering. Lord, help us understand your perspective to help orientate and correct our perspective in this brief, momentary life that we have. So spirit, move in our hearts. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. One of the main passages that talks about Christ is Psalm 22. So if you turn to Psalm 22, it's one of the main passages that talks about the passion of Christ. This time of suffering, this week of suffering that Christ went through because of our sins. And when we read just Psalm 22 on its own, it seems like a standard lament passage, a standard passage of, Woe, help me, Lord. But again, I firmly believe, and I think it's true, that the interpretive key to the Old Testament is Christ, the cross event. And just reading Psalm 22 without the New Testament, you miss out on the beauty of what Christ has done for his children. We read this through the perspective of the cross. And we see the messianic figure living these words. 
and we learn a very important biblical truth. And normally I kind of go through a sermon and the, and the pastor says all these kind of points and you'll have a good summary of what this all means. Let me just tell you what this is all about. This is very key. Jesus was momentarily abandoned by God so that his children would never be abandoned. And I'm going to say this throughout the, the sermon here, and this is very key. Let's look at the first verse here, Psalm 22. We're, we're going to take some time and look at other passages here in the following weeks, but the first one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you heard that before? Yeah, without the cross, it would seem like a standard lament passage. But there's much to be held here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Well, let's turn to Matthew 27. This is also spoken of in Mark chapter 15, but we will stick with the, the Matthew passage here. And let me just, before we get into some of the theological truths and the application, let me just talk about some of the textual things here, some of the words. Matthew chapter 27. Here we have the death of Jesus, and he's on the cross. And again, like we saw last week, we have a psalm that transcends the original writer's story or situation. David wrote and David suffered. David had much lamenting to talk about. Many times he was being chased by the enemy. He was out on his own. He felt abandoned. But here is a passage that transcends the original writer's story and speaks of the Messiah's future passion on the cross. Language. It's pretty obvious when you study through the historical documents and you look at the history of the people of that time to conclude that Jesus was trilingual. What does that mean? He knew three languages, if not more. Now, for us, we know American, but is it American? Oh, it's English. Do we live in England? No, we're, okay. How many of you know more than just one language? Raise your hand. There's a few that maybe, like, maybe just a little Spanish or something else, enough to get you around. As a Jewish boy, for obvious reasons, he was taught Hebrew. He knew Hebrew. He quoted from the Hebrew passage but in that time, growing up in this time, the vernacular, the common language, that which was spoken, do you know what language that was? Aramaic. Thus, if you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, and you put it in and you go, what are they saying? Well, if you know Aramaic, it'd be very easy to understand. Good thing there's words to tell you what that is. Hebrew, Aramaic, and the written word of that time was Greek trilingual. And even some would say he knew a little Latin. Here in this passage, Matthew 27, 45. 
from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Okay, here we have not English, right? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. So here we have Hebrew and Aramaic. He's thinking of the Hebrew, speaking the vernacular, saying this out in the common language here, which means, he translates this for us, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he speaks out in Aramaic the common language, which everyone understands, and they hear it going, oh, he's quoting Psalm 22. Well, that's not what the people thought at the time. Because look it. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, oh, he's crying and calling out to Elijah. Because it sounds like, Eloi, Eloi, it sounds like Elijah, maybe in one of those languages. Why would they say this? Well, out of the three languages that Jesus knew, he cries this out, and people, the Jewish people of this time, who understood the Old Testament, anticipated Elijah to come and save. They weren't really sure. Some of them weren't sure. Would he be like the Messiah? Would he come back as the Messiah? Would he come and help the Messiah? Would he be a part of the saving effect? Malachi 4, 5 says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So he's going to have some saving event. So they thought, well, maybe he's crying out to Elijah. In fact, even today, when the Jewish people have the Passover feast, they have many elements that are symbolic of many things. They have a feather. They have a bone. They have all these things. They have something that's bitter to remind them of the Passover Every year when they set the table, they have one extra plate. One plate extra than everyone else. And guess who that's for? Elijah. Because they're waiting for him to come and save and be a part of this salvation. So, that's why they cry out, well, maybe he's saying Elijah. Let's take a look at this a little bit deeper. Verse 46. He quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As a fellow fellow pilgrim on this planet, I understand suffering with you. We all understand suffering to a certain degree. And as a former medic, I understand pain and think through pain when I'm dealing with someone. If someone's all busted up because of a car accident, I can assess quickly and think through pain and think through this is what is more necessary right now. But as I've thought through pain, pain comes in different ways. There's different types of suffering, correct? A mosquito bite compared to dropping a bowling ball on your foot. There's different types of pain. When it comes to pain, there's two types that we could categorize pain in. First, a certain type of sensation that you get from certain nerves that come together and come up to your brain and say, this is painful, physical pain. We all understand physical pain. 
In fact, when I said we're going to have church outside because of all the snow outside, right away some of you thought physical pain. In fact, C.S. Lewis in The Problem with Pain talks about that aspect. But also there's a different aspect of pain that we are also aware of. In the first category of pain, we all have different levels of pain. For, for some reason, I can handle pain a lot more than my daughter can, for obvious reasons. But even so, some people can ha- handle pain in different ways. But the other aspect of pain is the emotional aspect of pain. Hurts like abandonment, disappointment, being humiliated, failure, and shame. That's a whole categorically different aspect of pain, right? How many of you want to be humiliated? No, it's, it's, that's painful to think through that. Who wants shame? And the Bible uses words like suffering, anguish, tribulation, adversity, trouble, for both of those categories. And many of these in the emotional aspects of pain lead to fear, which I find interesting. Scripture doesn't say it leads to depression, which we're prone to say, oh, I'm depressed, oh, I'm leading to depression. Really, a lot of these things lead to fear, which I haven't thought through biblically. I love to take time and just think through, why doesn't he speak of depression? Well, sure, there's depression, but why is it fear that they speak of? And today we're going to look at one of those words in the category of emotional pain. And it's the word forsaken, abandoned. How many of you would like to be abandoned? None of us. If I would say, would you rather have a small needle to draw out some blood or a bowling ball on your foot? Well, maybe some of you would choose the bowling ball over because you don't like needles inside of blood, but or a mosquito compared to a bowling ball in your foot. You choose the mosquito, right? Of all the areas of emotional pain, abandonment is one of the greatest types of grief. Right? It is horrible. I would rather be humiliated and made fun of and people laugh at me in a little pain and sorrow, okay? You, I can put my cheese hat on, you guys laugh at me, they didn't make a Super Bowl, that's fine. And I'll, I can come over through rebuttal, well, we've got many, many Super Bowls, catch up to us, you know, whatever. You know, I, I can be embarrassed, but nothing compared to being abandoned. Abandonment reaches to the many depths and aspects of pain. It's one of the, the most core, deepest, horrific ones to taste of. Listen to this. Abandonment comes with this, the loss of a loved one. When you lose someone you love, you feel this aspect of, I feel abandoned. Or, instead of acceptance, abandonment is rejection. And that twists who you are. That twists your self-image. Instead of being chosen, you're rejected. Who wants that? None of us want that. Abandonment is the opposite of acceptance. Or abandonment also touches into this lack of provision and protection, resulting of feelings of abandonment. If I'm not protected, or I'm not chosen in that way where there's protection, or there's provision, I feel abandoned. 
if, let's say, people would break into my house and I would call 911 and they would say, you know, we're not going to protect you or provide for you today. Sorry. What? You're abandoning me. We pay taxes for the police to come. I'm being abandoned. Or being cut off by a husband or deserted by a wife. Abandonment speaks of the deep, horrible aspect of pain that some other emotional pain doesn't really speak of. Abandonment's one of the worst. Isolation. Loneliness. Who wants that? Terrified. And what the real horror is abandonment. So we, we think of horror and being scared, and so many times when we say, I'm horrified, we right away associate that with movies, Hollywood, and that's not horror. A guy with a knife and fake blood squirting out on the screen, now they probably do it in 3D and all these, you know, horror movies. That's not horror, that's just gore, right? For some reason, Hollywood thinks horror is gore, so that's what sells, and they make that horror, as I think Hitchcock would do it, would really mess with the mind in an abandonment. When you look at a lot of Hitchcock stuff, which I would classify as true horror, a lot of it is abandonment, loneliness. I'm deserted. True horror. Abandonment also touches the part that's very hard for us. Rejection of love. When we hear of orphans, when we see children who are abandoned, it's not only that they're alone and they need some help physically, but that abandonment, they're rejected by their parents. Very serious is the word abandonment. So I wrote this down. Being forsaken is one of the worst things to go through. And already some of you have gone through death of parents or children, divorce, horrible things, you're going, yes it is. Because you have tasted of this. Being forsaken is one of the worst things to go through. And the ache of abandonment is one of the most severe pains one could feel and live in. I say this with a smile. And we hear from this from the cross. We hear of abandonment. From, how can I say it with a smile? Because I know the outcome. I know the outcome. Again, let, let me just say this. I'll say this a couple times. Jesus was momentarily abandoned by God so that his children would never be abandoned. Wow. Abandonment. So we look at these words. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Hebrew and Aramaic, he screams this out, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, many times when David writes in Psalms 22 or other passages, he uses hyperbole. What's hyperbole? He makes it so extreme, so huge, that's really not the way it is. But he speaks of it in such a grand way that children do it often when they have pain. They have the smallest little owie that has no blood, and they're screaming like their arm is cut off, right? 
Ah! And you're like, where is it? I can't even see where it is. It's, oh, I'm going to die. You're not going to die. But for some reason, that Band-Aid has no medicine on it. That heals it all, right? For some reason, little kids are that way. David would awesome say these things like, why have you all? Oh! Is this just hyperbole or do we take this to be literal? Oh, this is so literal. Don't just read this and think, oh, Jesus, even though I can't understand that he was fully God, fully man at the same time, God didn't abandon him. He's just saying that and quoting some Old Testament passage. We take these words at face value. Crying from the deep sorrow of pain to God. He cries this out. And Jesus, when you think about it, he was abandoned often during this week. First the disciples, he's praying, stay awake. Okay, let's pray together. Bam, they're sleeping. Then he gets abandoned by them. Judas comes, they take him away, he's abandoned. He's abandoned by the disciples, abandoned by Peter, abandoned by the high court who his own people, the Jewish leaders, he's abandoned even by his own race. He's abandoned by the soldiers, abandoned by so many people, and then his father. Here it is, listen. In your pain today, in your pain from yesterday, the former divorce, the former loss of a loved one, the former rejection you've had at work or wherever, know this. Jesus truly understands abandonment. He understands it. And his cry is real. He understands being abandoned. He was cut off from the fellowship of his father. The cry of desolation is here. Why have you forsaken me? Of the worst of the painful feelings, he cries it out. But this leads to the theological truths and thoughts that we have in here. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Until this week, I thought this passage, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, it's an important passage. Until I saw the true beauty of it this week, I am in awe with this truth again. Christ was abandoned momentarily by his Father so that the children of God would never be abandoned. Profound. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3. Let's start with verse 10. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. If you think that you can get to heaven by obeying and obeying, you will be very tired. In fact, Ty. Is anyone in the hallway there looking? Anybody? Two guys? They didn't come. This past week I had two Mormons come to my door, young bucks. I said, hey, let's talk more. Come back and we'll spend a good hour. And we did. 
And I'm amazed that even in normal, I shouldn't be amazed, not no surprise, oh, we believe in Jesus, they say, <laughs> they don't, but you have to obey the commandments also. They have Jesus plus the law. And I just, we were talking, and I just went right to the young one. I said, listen to me. In the end, you are going to be very, very tired and always nervous that you won't make it if you think that you follow the law and you think if you can obey it, that will attain your salvation. You're going to be a very tired boy and a very tired man someday unless you truly see the grace of Jesus. And right there he went, you're right. I was hoping they would come. They said they would come, but maybe the snow kept them or other forces that are at work in this world. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For his written curse is everyone who does not continue everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified, made righteous before God. No one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. And here it is, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us from the curse by what? By becoming a curse for us. So here it is. On the cross, Jesus became the curse for us. For us, he was under the full burden of sin. He took our sin, he became sin for us who knew no sin and bore the sins on the cross. That is profound. Jesus, who was made to be sin for us, experiences then the horror of the separation of God. It says in Habakkuk 1.13 that God cannot look at sin. And when Jesus took the sins of the world upon him, for that moment, he was abandoned by God. Separation from God that sin creates. Listen to this. There is horror, not gore, but horror of abandonment because of sin. And Jesus took this on. And this explains why he would be separated from God the moment he took it on. So take a look at this next slide. Think of these words. The divine abandonment brought for us divine justice. Praise God. Let's worship him for a year. Amen. He took it on for us. He became the curse for me. His abandonment, his divine abandonment brought for us justice. Here the Father is away absent from the Son. Listen to this. This is very important. Physical agony is bad, right? We could do a fear factor and see who can handle, handle the most and tolerate the most pain and we could all give up at a certain point. Physical agony and pain and suffering is horrible, yet, you got to know this, spiritual alienation because of sin is the ultimate torture. That's profound. And Jesus took that 
for us. Again, how could we not worship him forever? He did this for me. Abandoned by God with his love for us. He died so we would not have to have this separation. Wow! Psalm 22 is great. It shows the beauty of Christ that he would be abandoned so I would not have to. How could you not worship him forever, even in your suffering? So no matter what suffering you go through, no matter, even if it's the highest extreme painful thing that could happen, rejoice. Because it's working for you a greater glory, an eternal perspective, and God knows suffering. He took abandonment. Physical agony, is, it's horrible. Yet spiritual alienation because of sin is the ultimate torture. Jesus was momentarily abandoned by God so that his children would never be abandoned. Praise God. So again, if you and your past have been abandoned, forsaken, rejected, or today you are being abandoned, rejected, or in the near future you may be, have this perspective it's going to be painful. It was painful. It is painful. But I will never be abandoned by God. Praise God. I will never. And here's the application. Next slide. God understands our pain. He's not immune from it. He understands our pain. Here's a few words. To our wounds, God's wounds speak boldly to. Amen? No matter what pain and suffering you have, he also has wounds. And he understands pain and suffering. Wow! What we feel he experienced. We have a broken God for a broken people. That's just profound. Why didn't he come and just go, boom, land on the earth and say, all my people follow me, Worship me. Satan, you're gone. Wicked people, you're gone. Let's celebrate. Well, we'll get to these aspects about sin and the sovereignty of God. But he understands pain and sorrow. Psalm 56, verse 8. Let's turn to this, because some of these verses I want you to have highlighted in your Bible or just memorize and etch them onto the, your soul. Psalm 56. Verse 8. Here is the, I think it's the NLT. Looked at all the different translations. You keep track of all my sorrows. Think of that. The Lord keeps track of them. He knows them. He keeps track of our sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You think the tears and pain and sorrow that you have has been done alone? 
You think at night that you cry when no one else is there and you feel like you have no more hope, that God is not there, understanding, seeing, recording it. Oh, He does. He is with us. You have recorded each one in your book. Thus, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your cares upon Him. Why? Because He's big and mighty and has lightning bolts. Cast all your cares upon Him. For He, what? Cares for you. He cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Write that down. Etch that into your memory. Cast all your cares. You feel abandonment right now? Cast your cares upon Him. He was more abandoned than you will ever be if you turn to Christ. But those who stay in sin, those who are not ones who repent, they will feel, in the end, ultimate alienation from God. God understands our pain. Praise God. So no matter what sorrow you have in the past, because some of you haven't healed from the past pain of death, the past pain of divorce, the past pain of rejection, cast all your cares upon Him, for He what? Cares for you. The next slide says this. God is with His children though you may feel like he has abandoned you, we have confidence in the cross and in his word. Because of the cross, we know that he will not abandon us. Praise God. Amen? The work of the cross is just profound. Again, here's the line. Jesus was momentarily abandoned by God, his Father, so that his children would never be abandoned. Write that down. Think of that often through your tears. Hebrews chapter 13, 5, a passage that little kids memorize and that you should speak of to your soul and your sorrows often. Turn there. Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Because God's promises are true and the work of the cross secures that. He became the curse for us so we would not be forsaken by God. Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Because of the cross. Because His promises are true. Amen? Thirdly, we do this. We celebrate. Take a look at the next slide. We celebrate the work of Jesus. We celebrate. If you have pain and sorrow, celebrate Jesus. That sounds crazy. But celebrate Him because He understands. He never leaves us. We celebrate Jesus. Always celebrate the work of Jesus. That's why I'm a crazy guy about the cross. I love Easter. Every morning I try to think of Good Friday, think of Easter, and bam! My perspective has changed. 
when I read through the Old Testament, I think of Easter. When I read Revelation, I think of Easter. The cross is stamped on my eyes, and it's how I see all things and how we should read this word. The next slide is a quote from Timothy Keller. Jesus lost all his glory so that we would be clothed in it. He was shut out so we could get access. He was bound, nailed, so we could be free. He was cast out so we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you. That is being cast away from God. Children of God, you have much to rejoice in. If you're old and you have three more days to live, if cancer is at your door, if you're young and in suffering and pain, if you feel like everything is going good, have the eternal perspective. Nothing compares this quick momentary stuff compares to the greatness of the glory that is to be revealed in us. Amen? And also know this perspective. God knows our pain. He understands abandonment. One of the worst of all emotional griefs, he has tasted it because of us. So children of God, know that he was abandoned, so I would not be. People who have not turned to God, sinners, people who have not repented, know this. If you have not come to Jesus, if you have not confessed your sins and your allegiance to Him, that you need a Savior, you think you know abandonment now? There will be a day for those who do not turn to Christ. There will be a day when true abandonment will come. And it will be forever. God saves sinners. And if you're a sinner and the Holy Spirit's working in your heart right now, repent and believe in the beauty of the cross. How could we not do communion? Amen? How could we not celebrate Him every day? How could we not say, Lord, send down 50 feet of snow so we can just stay in here forever and worship Him for the whole day? Let's pray and get our hearts ready for celebrating the beauty and the work of Christ.